passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Rewind the dynamite from the post-wrestling site. A-E-W, lighting up the fuse. Sit back and enjoy the bubbly. As we hear from John and Waiting. Where we're going, we don't need roads. And if the bug stops here, this thing might blow. Everything you hear, opinions of the show. And if you don't like it, go to the forums and let them know. Hello, everybody. Welcome to a special Sunday night edition of Rewinded Dynamite. I'm John Pollock alongside Wei Ting. Hello, Wei. How you doing, John, on a Sunday night? I'm doing fantastic. What What do you think is the outcome that is going to fall upon Logan Roy this season? Oh, oh my God. You watched? Just finished. Premiere? Oh, just oh, finished. Man. That's why I said I was going to be three minutes late. Oh, geez. I don't get HBO here. So oh, I can't watch it. Damn, how was it? It was pretty good. It was okay. pretty good. Yeah. Well, I will be watching it, and um, yeah, I, I, I'll, I will give you my thoughts maybe at another time. Yes. Well, if there's if there's one connecting theme, it was. I'm not going to ruin anything for you. It was Logan being asked, "What about cooperation?" And his response, mm-hmm. definitely commentating on our world, he said. It's war. Fuck off. That's what that's what we've got. We've got the era of it's war. Fuck off. Really a slogan for uh, our modern times. So I, I can't wait to dig into this season of succession. Awesome. Yeah, great. Great first episode back. This is uh, season two ended in 2019. We've had two years to wait for this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I guess uh, some of this was filmed during the pandemic, if not all of it. Correct. I don't know. I didn't uh, I didn't read anything. Um, I, I imagine that. That's true. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, we will get Way's thoughts as the the season progresses. But tonight we've got dynamite to chat about. So we have we had a whole twenty four hours to let this episode digest with us, Way. And what what did you think about the the Friday Saturday Saturday night back to back combo, which we will have again next weekend with AEW? Hmm. The process of it itself. I mean, I, personally, I felt certainly a bit less urgency to watch Dynamite this week. I saved it for Sunday. In fact. Number one, because we weren't recording that evening. But secondly, I also feel like um, because I had such a big fix of it on Friday, I wasn't necessarily craving for a big Saturday AEW show. So um, by the time it came about, I mean, again, it wasn't so high on my priority schedule. But upon watching it, I did, of course, enjoy myself. And tomorrow we will get the scorecard from everything from Friday night and even uh, Saturday night's Dynamite. We'll get all those numbers that... We will discuss on on Monday night, and I am not looking forward to Monday at at four o'clock. But it will be uh, chaos. Well, we already have the Fast Nationals, do we not? The Fast Nationals are out. Where um, it was certainly SmackDown ahead on viewers. Um, but again, like I, I don't. 
um, I don't post about the fast nationals. I wait until we've got the final number. It just seems to me, wait till the final number are out. We don't know what the demos are. Uh, we don't know how that 30 minutes performed either way, both in viewers and the demo. Uh, we just have like the overall viewership for the fast nationals, which will fluctuate on, on Monday when we get the, the final number. So, hmm. I mean, that is that. And I, I would say anyone going into Friday would have assumed SmackDown would have more viewers. I think that was going to be the outcome. The 18 to 49 number, that one is going to be uh, noteworthy. Rampage is coming off its its lowest number ever the week before. But what was what was the effect positively of the whole week leading up to this, this battle back and forth? Uh, and conversely, how much did baseball take out of it? Many, many questions. Um, those th- These will be very scrutinized numbers, or at least th- numbers that will be greatly dissected in many different ways. All right, so it's the main event. About 4 o'clock, Monday afternoon. Sit by your computers, everybody. Get ready. Uh, show buzz is going to crash. Um, let's chat. Uh, just a few news and notes here before we get into Dynamite. So in a couple of hours, we'll have the A Block Final. So Way and I will be back uh, Monday afternoon with a show for all Post Wrestling Cafe members. Oh my we God, will... already? Jeez. Well, we got a few days off. Like, I've had enough time to distance myself from the G1. Um, listen, I, I enjoy the G1 every year. Uh, some people are down on this year's. It's an enjoyable tournament. But man, am I looking forward to Friday morning when both Crown Jewel and the G1 are in the rear view. That day is going to be insane on Thursday. I'm I'm ready to say goodbye to the G1 for this season. It's it's a pretty common... I mean, it's an exception when there's not a lot of wrestling. Not an overwhelming amount of wrestling to talk about. So this week will be no different. Yeah, no, Nothing beats that year that we had the G1 Finals and SummerSlam here in town on the same day in 2019. That that was the worst weekend. That was a weekend where it was just cuz that was the three back-to-back nights of G1. At least we do have some space here between Monday show with Wednesday and Thursday. But the lineup has uh Kota Bushi and Kenta which most likely will be the match that everything is decided upon. Uh, Tomohiro Ishii against Toriyano. Both of them are out. That outcome means nothing. Shingo Takagi and Yujiro, and then Zack Sabre Jr. and Tangaloa. So uh, I did put out a poll, and I was somewhat surprised by how many people uh, believe that Zack Sabre Jr. has a shot at winning this entire thing. Um, I-, I think Kota Ibushi is the pretty comfortable favorite going into uh, into Monday, unless we get some wild uh, booking from uh, from Ghetto on on this particular evening. Honestly, anything is possible, but I mean, I think those results really speak more to me about the people that are hearing about the G1 and maybe, you know, Zach's early push and early rise rather than the people that are actually paying active attention and doing the calculations. I mean, for one thing, Zach has already beat Shingo Takagi, so uh, theoretically, you would assume that he would already have a title shot waiting for him yep. after the G1. Um, and secondly, I I just personally don't don't see it. I mean, it's mainly for that reason, so... Uh, I would love it if if Zach won the G one, but I, I I'm also going with Kota Ibushi. Do you see it being Ibushi and Okada on Thursday? That's that's where I'm leaning towards. Yeah, you know what? But an Ibushi Cobb is very possible as well. It's down to those two in the B block. Um, I certainly think one would be. They're both like I think pretty surefire headliners. But as far as who is go- ultimately, you're asking who's going to Wrestle Kingdom, and as much as I think. You know they love booking Ibushi for that role. I I don't know if I see him winning a G one three years in a row. 
that's that's a lot. I mean, of course it's possible. Anything is possible. And and it would be quite the stat to attach to him permanently. But I feel like this year it might be... Man, it's tough to decide between Okada and Cobb. That's ultimately what it comes down to. Um, I'll go with Okada. Uh, we've also have Raw Monday night in Sacramento and a uh, a marathon lineup of matches that they have out in advance with Charlotte Flair against Bianca Belair for the Raw Women's Title, Big E and Drew McIntyre teaming once again against Bobby Roode and Dolph Ziggler who are on SmackDown and I think staying on SmackDown but are on Raw this week I think I guess so sure o- Orton and Riddle against the Street Profits who are on. SmackDown. Raw. They're coming to Raw. They're on the, SmackDown? Well, they were on SmackDown, but then they got drafted to Raw. And You're yeah. talking about Orton and Riddle? No, I'm talking about the Street Profits. Okay, but Orton and Riddle are on Raw. Orton and Riddle on Raw. They're staying on Raw. The Street Profits are... They were on SmackDown, got drafted to Raw, but they're on Raw before the roster moves take effect on Friday. I was hoping to get through the weekend without... um. I'm doing more math on these draft picks. It's way more complicated G1. than the G1. The scenarios for the G1 are way easier to convey than who's on what show in WWE. Uh, and then Dewdrop against Shayna Baszler and Xavier Woods against Jinder Mahal. Who is going to be on the flight to Saudi Arabia way of those two matches? <laughs> Xavier Woods and Jinder Mahal. I mean, Woods is, you know, the guy that they are kind of pushing is, um, the, you know, the name attached to the King of the Ring more than I would say anybody. Is it going to be... Who is it? Finn Balor? He he won on yes. SmackDown. Winner, winner faces Finn Balor, and the winner of the women's faces Zelina Vega. Yeah, yeah. As much as I, I, I would love for it to be Woods. To me, a Balor gender match in Saudi Arabia makes a bit more sense. But you know what? They're putting all this TV push behind Woods. I think it's going to be Woods. Sure. What about I'll you? Go with, I'll go with gender. Uh, and on the women's side, um, is it going to be the Yas Queen or the Queen of Spades? Well, either one you can't really go wrong, but I'm going to say... So who won on the SmackDown side of things? I forget. Zelina? Mega. Zelina. Okay, so Zelina versus Shayna as a match. You can do any match, of course, in Saudi Arabia, but that doesn't feel as, mm, I don't know, impactful for me. Um, Just, you know, double heel, so sure. Yas, queen. These tournaments feel very forgettable, both of them to me. Um, We've also got the latest on the Minoru Suzuki Tour. So, coming out of this weekend and the New Japan Strong tapings, he is set to take on Dominic Guarini on Thursday. Uh, It was just confirmed a few hours ago. He will take on Chris Dickinson at Bloodsport. They met on Saturday at the New Japan Strong tapings where Suzuki pinned him. So, they'll have a rematch at Bloodsport on Friday. Saturday, he stays in LA for GCW for the match with Nick Gage. And then he goes Sunday and Monday to the Impact tapings in Las Vegas. Amazing. You know, if it, it can, can we name like a more exciting two month span of a, of a man's career? Like this is, this guy is really taking in the this midst. Will be of the a, this will be a remembered um, two month period uh, for Minoru Suzuki at the age of 53 coming over here and just doing a bunch of fantasy matches that um, really just show you the, the appeal of a Minoru Suzuki that can be put in all these unique scenarios and the value of if New Japan doesn't have usage for a guy that you could send them over and, you know, not everyone is going to have the appeal of a Minoru Suzuki, but this certainly was very beneficial for the independent scene for two months. 
Completely, completely. You know, a lot of promotions probably not typically gaining that sort of publicity. And Suzuki is just really kind of gracing them as part of this giant, massive tour. In the midst of a pandemic, the man is traveling to the uh, the other side of the ocean to have this completely old school, like, man, just, just saga of these, like, incredible matches that I hope one day will be collected in, in some sort of form. Uh, and AAA is going to be officially announcing all of the details for their December 4th card in Monterey. They're going to be running a baseball stadium, and they put out a an ad um, or a poster uh, featuring Cain Velasquez, who they had noted was coming back in December, and Kenny Omega as well. So it looks like this is a big uh, – this is going to be a big – show for AAA uh, utilizing both of them. Now, AAA still has this issue where they cannot legally stream into the U.S. And therefore, uh, for the last, including Triple Mania in August, they've had to rely on, like, the Cubs fan has been streaming these shows on his Twitch channel. And so far, it's been working. And that's AAA's, like, U.S. distribution is uh, a site's Twitch stream. Hold on a second. So, so is the Cubs fan doing this just like, does he have the rights or do they have the rights to do it? Or is it just like, um, I got a Twitch channel. Like if they strike me, then whatever. I think that's it. I think that's what they're doing. Yeah. That is super weird, but okay. There's going to be a lot of demand for this when you've got, you know, both Kenny and I think Kane Velasquez, we will see what the, the intrigue is for a Kane Velasquez return uh, two years after his last pro wrestling match. Certainly, yes. And uh, the the final thing here was uh, two matches over the weekend that I've heard uh, great reviews about. The first being, um, I won't give away results of the spoilers, but this Andrade uh, pack match, uh, people have been raving about it. Uh, I got a message from someone that was there that just was blown away by this match and compared it to if you envisioned a match between Dynamite Kid and Eddie Guerrero. That's what this person compared it to. Like, imagine, like, the best version of that. So some lofty standards that they are placing on this rematch that will air on Friday for Rampage. And I think it's kind of interesting. Like, this is an example that Rampage has to rely on is this word of mouth for tape-delayed shows that if results are going to kind of take some of the urgency out of Rampage, your hope is that word of mouth is going to travel fast of when there is a blow-away match and and we will see like we will see how this friday show does but more importantly next friday's where it's back to a tape delay and you don't have smackdown running against you that type of word of mouth promotion actually takes the nature of a tape delay show and turns that into a positive rather than you know perhaps being a little less excited for a match that has already had its results revealed somewhere you're instead using that time to spread the word of mouth that, yeah, this match happened and it was fucking awesome and you'd be an idiot to miss it. It's very much like relying on, I suppose, critical reviews, you know, ahead of a boobies release or an album's release. But, you know, the tricky thing, of course, you have to make sure is that the result and the product actually is good. And it sounds like it was. So I'll be I'll be very curious about it. And again, just a reminder to everybody, no dynamite on Wednesday again this week. That's right. Yeah, no no dynamite on Wednesday. They're they're back again with the Friday night rampage which was taped Saturday night in Miami and then a live dynamite Saturday night in Orlando. And the other match, uh, All Japan had their big Champions Night card on Saturday at Oda Ward Gymnasium 
And in the main event, uh, Jake Lee defended the Triple Crown against Kento Miyahara. I have not seen the match yet, but they went the full 60 to a time limit draw. And uh, WH has watched this. He told me it's fantastic. So it sounds like a match uh, worth going out of your way to see um, this 60 minute draw between Jake Lee and Kento Miyahara. So I will be trying to find time to watch that at some point over the next few days. Speaking of WH Park, he just released a brand new podcast today. He's completed the fourth. The fourth pillar has been uh, memorialized. Yes. yes, four pillars have been built, but I, I hear there might be more. There might be a, a, ooh. Some, he's going to build pillars, so there might be some renovations to. Uh, oh my to goodness! Hallowed Hall of the uh, '90s New Japan Pro Wrestling. Yes, wow, the, but, uh, the the WH Park Mausoleum. Mausoleum, correct? Yes, but uh, as yes, we have the latest biography episode. These are special edition quarterly episodes of the Long Winding Royal Road, where WH Park and a guest. We'll take a look at one of the four pillars of all Japan pro wrestling from the 1990s. Of course, he's done episodes on Toshiaki Kawada, Mitsuharu Masala, and Kenta Kobashi. And today, along with Dave Musgrave, a pro wrestling writer and a very knowledgeable former podcast host himself, he has done an episode about Akira Tawe. Wow. Well, go check out that uh, that episode. Uh, Dave Musgrave is the is the guest for this month on the Long and Winding Royal Road. And if you have not heard the episodes on Masawa, Kobashi, uh, now uh, Tawe, but also did one on Kawada. He's done one on all four. And they are phenomenal uh, shows and guides to go back, relive their careers and point out um, certain specific matches and different chapters of their career they're really really thorough biographies if you want to go check those out in the archives yeah that's just uh right now if you scroll down on the this feed where you're listening to this right now or you can go to youtube.com slash post wrestling um last thing i want to mention here is just uh uh a note about the the passing of an independent wrestler brian deboard um there's a bio up on slam wrestling if you want to go check this out but this is a sad story so Brian DeBoard uh, did wrestle as part of the Cauliflower Alley Club reunion where they put on the uh, the independent show and has died of COVID. And, you know, Reggie Parts was also at Cauliflower and died mm. shortly after of COVID. And it's I mean, it's mm. it's something that wow. it's um, it, it's sad. Um, you're, you know, you can look at d- different factors and such, but it's it's a wake up call, I would say that. It's, you know, there, here are two people that were at Cauliflower and they've, they've died of COVID now. And, and, you know, Reg, Reggie Parts was 87. Uh, Brian DeBoard was 42 years old. Mm, wow. That's very concerning. Um, you know, I wonder if, if we'll hear more about the story and hopefully not, but um, yeah, very tragic um, story. Yeah, so if you if you want to go read more about uh, Brian DeBoard, uh, Greg Oliver does have a story up at slamwrestling.net if you want to go read that. Um, all of the other news items can be found up at postwrestling.com, including a on this date, looking back at the ladder match from 1999 with Edge and Christian against the Hardys, uh, who someone took me to task, how could I do an on this date featuring Edge and not use the title on this day? <laughs> I didn't miss it. Did you watch that pay-per-view at the time? Were you watching? I 
don't know if I was watching live, but I definitely caught the match after. Yeah, mm-hmm. that was if you were watching WWF programming in 1999. I mean, that match is <laughs> it was a it was a rarity in WWF at the time to see a oh, match yeah. of that quality. And mm-hmm. it was funny because I was reading I was writing about it today and thinking about this that on Friday it's like that uh, Usos Street Profits uh, Street Fight. I don't know if you had a chance to see it, but like it's a great match. Um, I, I thought like a really good match, and I'm thinking like if if you transplanted this exact match into WWF 1999, it would probably be this very fondly remembered tag match that would stand a lot more the test of time. Whereas this that literal tag match, forget not even being the best match of the weekend or best match of the night. Dude, it wasn't even the best match happening at the exact same time when Minoru Suzuki and Brian Danielson were having their match. Like, literally not even the best match at that moment in time. We are very spoiled about the level of quality, and you see a match, like that ladder match, it happens today, I I think it's out of people's memory instantly. Like, it's it, it's just such a different world that we are in now, but... That ladder match in 1999, I mean, that was those four cementing their spot in the company at that point, and they were off to the races after that. Yeah, I mean, well, I would say maybe, you know, there there were great matches happening all around the world in that era and prior to that era as well, but I, I would say for me specifically... But the availability wasn't there, and I would say the volume is it was probably not happening anywhere near to what we're seeing now at such a frequency. Yes, um, but especially in WWF at that 98, 99, I mean, it was, they were few and far between. Yeah, exactly what I was going to say. The WWE's level has risen greatly since then. So uh, if you're a WWE fan, I would say for the most part, you're pretty spoiled when it comes to match quality, but not always. Well, we're going to get into Dynamite Night 2 at the James L. Knight Center in Miami, Florida, featuring Jim Ross, Excalibur, Tony Schiavone, and CM Punk on commentary. And Punk came out to a monstrous reception, and he was circling the ringside area, and he was careful to avoid a dude with his arms extended, holding out his beer. And Punk avoided that guy. It's um, it's always a danger, I suppose, when you're straight edge. Uh, off the top, they, they announced uh, that they're going to be going to Duluth, Georgia for Dynamite and Rampage December the 1st at the Gas South Arena. So that date had been empty for some time, and that is uh, where they are going to go December 1st. But our opening match, Malachi Black against Dante Martin, who is accompanied by Leo Rush. And they had a... First of all, uh, did you find it interesting that they decided to start with this one? I mean, Malachi Black is a big name, but I feel like um, typically on like a Dynamite or a Rampage, they they might start off with a Bryan match if if a match is there, or a Punk match if if they're available. And I, I just wonder if, like, the fact that it's on Saturday, you're not really following a lead-in from, um, you know, a WWE show, whether or not that has anything to do with it. Uh, I think for this one, it was more so what was going to main event, and I figured it was either Danielson Fish or it would be the six-man. And the six-man, th- that being with the, with the Bucks and Cole, I mean, it was... It was kind of just a cold match, just announced the day of. So I think you wanted your Danielson Fish that was going to be your main event. So um, 
Yeah, I mean, I, I was fine with the, this opening. It, it's uh, yeah, I would have, pre- I would have assumed either of those two to start the show because I mean, I think as we've seen, yeah, you, most, you could have put the six man in the opener. Sure, the biggest match typically on the Dynamite often takes place in the very beginning of it, and I would say Malachi Black versus Dante Martin not really on the same radar as those other two. So I just found it interesting whether or not there was a different philosophy on a Saturday. There was a, so there were these deep arm drags from Black and. Then there's a springboard into a power bomb where Black catches him, and then he starts working the knee with a single leg crab. There's a knee bar, and Dante gets out. He hits a poison rana, and then Dante leaps onto the top rope for a somersault senton to Black on the ramp. He follows with a double springboard moonsault, missing, and then is caught with a there's a meteora and bridging german by malachi for a two count and black is surprised that he kicked out the crowd is going nuts for this at this point martin balances on the top with a frankensteiner but he's clutching his left knee after landing goes for another double springboard and this one partially lands but black goes back to attacking the knee but in the midst here starts clutching his ribs after releasing the single leg crab There's a springboard that misses, and Dante lands on the bad knee, and that leads him to eat the black mass, the back heel kick. Now, Dante Martin, he may do some amazing things in his career, but among the things that this man has been born with the gift of is taking this black mass. There is nobody that eats this thing that has the look on his face of sheer uh, wind knocked out of him and then face planting. This guy has taken this thing twice and both times there's no better person to take this black mass than Dante Martin. He face plants and is pinned in 938 and afterwards he gets the nod of approval from Malachi Black. Uh, I thought this was just tremendous. I am I'm very, very high on one Dante Martin. I guess the nod of approval was like, hey, thanks for making my shit look great. He's like, dude, like uh, this guy, seriously, watch the two. There's there's no one that takes it as good as Dante Martin. Really awesome match. You know, and Dante Martin, anytime he's involved in a high profile match, he always steals the show. And obviously that's because he's amazing, but also because AEW really allows their losing undercard wrestlers to perform, to have these great showcase matches where they can build their fan base even in a loss. And I felt this match was almost, it felt almost like it entirely like a showcase for Dante Martin. I mean, it was the type of match where he was running around a lot, being very elusive. And you have this striker who had a lot of trouble catching him until that final shot at the end. So um, a lot of fun, a lot of fun to watch. And another one that continues to build Dante Martin's stock anytime he wrestles out there. He's another guy like a, like a jungle boy or you know, Don, Darby Darby Allen, who can afford these losses and still, you know, become a bigger star coming out of it. The the one kind of question I have is the timing of this Leo Rush edition, knowing that he was going to face Black and lose to Black. I wondered if it was appropriate, given that he was, you know, like these these sort of additions of a manager, you kind of want to treat as fresh coats of paint. And this, to me, took a little bit of the luster off when you could have easily just had Rush confirm the partnership after this match. But, 
you know, we'll talk I, about I, I would imagine some people would have watched this and not even realized Rush was in the corner. He was not focused. He had no interaction with Black. I mean, he was there. You could visually see him, but he didn't play any role into it. And I think you're right. Like Dante losing here could have been the impetus to take on Leo as his manager, whereas seeing him out there, you're already believing it's a foregone. He's already accepted him as a manager. Mm-hmm. And that, at least that was the perception last week before um, it was on Rampage and even on the uh, buy-in, I believe he, he appeared on. But, you know, I guess the idea is that Martin is going to be transitioning to the tag division with Rush. So maybe maybe this probably ultimately doesn't matter a whole lot. And probably plays some role when whenever Darius comes back as well. Mm-hmm. Yes. Tony Schiavone had to be the most busy man on this entire program. He was in like every segment on this show. And he was at every every step of this building this man touched. He does a lot on these shows, yes. He's with Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus. Christian is back at home with neck issues after the the attack. And Jungle Boy notes how his head hurts. They make fun of the four-person powerbomb as Omega and Cole distract them. So the Young Bucks show up super-kicking both and laying them out backstage and then they deliver a triple team power bomb to Luchasaurus through a table, and Cole is holding on to Jungle Boy in the camel clutch. And I thought that they should struggle with this power bomb forever now. Uh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, to reference the 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 one that was screwed up. <laughs> um, yeah, they meant to do it. <laughs> sure. Yeah, um, yeah, no, just a seem to be a segment that continues to build that feud. And if Tony Khan's leak is to be believed, it will somehow lead towards Christian versus Cole and Jurassic Express versus the Bucks. And of course, it's also, you know, any of that can change before we actually get the match. So we'll see. Yes, everyone will be uh, cross-referencing with the uh, with the AP photo now for the next couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. The inner circle comes out. They are all reunited together. And they gave Santana the uh, the lead speaking role here, putting over Miami and the energy that they brought two nights in a row. The crowd starts chanting AEW and then Santana goes to address American top team who come out and my God, it was incredible. This atmosphere as Dan Lambert has to fight the audience every week to speak. Um, in some ways, it's like the closest thing we've seen to this in this generation is with Vicky Guerrero, but it comes across so much more like real heat here with Lambert, whereas Vicky, it it kind of just became part of the show where it's like, this is our part. We're supposed to just scream you down. And she was very good in the role. Uh, but my God, Dan Lambert has been, I think this guy's amazing. Yeah, I feel like with Vicky, like her heat came ma- mainly from the sound of her voice and mm-hmm. her very distinctive delivery. Whereas I feel like Lambert, it actually is from the promos and what he represents. And how he'll battle the crowd to get his promo across. Like, he's very much engaging in this. He's not, like, he's fighting the audience, too. And it just elicits a louder reaction. And it's also because they are counter to the most beloved babyface stable in the company at this point, in the inner circle. Um, yeah, I would I would say that, wouldn't I? Like, there's no bigger babyface stable, right? In, uh, in not AEW. In AEW. Like, not no. Jurassic Express. You know, I don't think. No, no, Dark, right now, Dark, inner... Dark Order, maybe. But I know I would say inner circles your your top 
babyface group for the for the moment Mm -hmm. and they just have tremendous chemistry you know jericho specifically and dan lambert have very great chemistry together and you the the combination of judas coming out giving this inner circle this just this massive ovation and then having dan lambert come out on top of it is just it, it, it it's it's a perfect formula that i think will work anywhere so the group out here with lambert are Paige van zandt the men of the year dalton rosta from he's a bellator fighter junior dos santos uh, and Austin Vanderford, but no Jorge Masvidal. So Lambert got tons of heat. He's demanding a parade for all the championships that American top team have brought Miami. And Jericho starts a fat-faced dipshit chant that the audience is more than happy to continue. And Jericho asks if Paige is obsessed with him and is going to slide into his DMs. However, Jericho would not touch her even with your husband's genitalia, and asks with all her Instagram photos what filters she uses, including Juno, Bimbo, or Bitch. Do you use the Bitch filter way? The Bitch filter? Is that one you have to download specially? It's uh, Yeah, it's, it's a special custom one that you have to add onto your phone. Oh, okay, and what does it do? I would argue yeah. the Bitch filter is the one where there's no filter. And it's just you at a the first thing in the morning. That's the bitch filter. No, I disagree. I think the bitch filter is when you use a border. 2021. 20, <laughs> I'm guilty of it, man. When I st- like, I think when we all started Instagram, like we were, we all were all like, oh yeah, a border. <laughs> you know, went crazy with the borders, but no, I, I they should just get rid of borders. Period. Period. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, the bitch filter. Okay, I'll look for it. Well, Jericho says no more. No more borders and no more outnumbered beatdowns. He wants a 10-man tag. And the crowd shuts down Lambert's response. And Lambert starts insulting all the members of the inner circle, including Jake Hager, for having a big head. The only champion in there is Sammy Guevara. And he says, if you want a 10-man tag, we are going to reveal our terms next week. And insinuates that it's going to be up to Guevara if they get that match. And then Scorpio noting that he has now pinned Chris Jericho twice. And Guevara says, I will kick all of your asses next week. And I guess we're getting a a TNT title defense here from Sammy Guevara. I want it to be Junior Dos Santos, but I imagine that is not going to be our match. Can you imagine Sammy Guevara and Junior Dos Santos? I can't imagine it. And I... I don't know if we'd be as happy with the result as I think most seem to be after Friday's performance, you know, like he's so early in his career that he really would benefit from being hidden in these multi-man tags as good as I think Sammy Guevara is. I, I wouldn't want to put Junior Dos Santos in a big setting like that. Did, did you did you see the note about Junior Dos Santos's training before uh, Rampage? No. Uh, Dave Meltzer had this note in his update. Uh that Chris Jericho felt that Junior Dos Santos is a natural at this and said that they trained with him for one hour on Friday and that was it. You're kidding. No, That's way. an hour of training according to, uh, I assume this was Jericho. Yeah. Really? Wow. Okay. Well, he. I, I would assume that he probably watched the whole lot because like, he had some good sensibility in there about like what to do, when to tag out, whatnot. So I have to imagine it's a bit more than maybe just one hour of... You know, for a guy that's yeah. like getting up there in age, it's like, you know, he is not the Junior Dos Santos of years past. Um, you know, I don't know if wrestling can be a full-time thing for him, but 
I would say like this is you know something to explore at this this point of your life if you're gonna go all in on it and I mean it's to me an avenue worth exploring he would he would not have been one of the guys I would have imagined would have looked at pro wrestling as an avenue nor one that I would assume would have been a, a natural for it but um, Kane he's, Kane neither no he, you're right Kane oh, and Junior neither of them. The one UFC heavyweight that I think we all assume would have made an entry into uh, pro wrestling would be Daniel Cormier, and he ha- he has not. Junior and Kane have stepped in before him, which is interesting. Um, any any more from this segment that you had to recap? No, that was it. That's how they set it up, and I guess the terms will be revealed next week. Uh, and obviously, they're going towards a ten man tag, which I mean, based on who was out here, way I. I think we can assume that Masvidal will not be part of that 10-man tag, mm. given who they had out here. Yeah, yeah, I would say so, too. I, and I don't think he needs to be, honestly. Like, as the big bad at the end of it all, all he has to do is come in, deliver the knee. But um, that's provided, you know, the inner circle loses. I, I do think you have to pay something off with Masvidal in the end. You've given him too much in those big angles with Jericho to just be your guy in the corner. Um, Does Ma- so- do you think Masvidal would ever get laid out? In a pro wrestling setting, for an angle, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't think he'd have any hang up. I just wonder, I guess, if like Dana would be protective even to that extent, or if he probably doesn't. Maybe he wouldn't give a shit. I don't know. Like, I would, would imagine. Would he? Would he take a Judas effect? Certainly, yeah. And, and lay dude, down for it, dude. For this guy who has taken your running knee twice and trusted you, yeah, I think. Yeah. I just see I see you have to pay it off with a match here and I just I just can't see AEW doing these angles two of them with Jericho if they don't have the belief that Masvidal will get the okay to do a match down the road after his fight at some point. Yeah, I don't know. Like they've done similar with like um what is it? Uh, Mike Tyson. You know, he's sort of on that Well, level. that was out of their control. They were planning to do a match. Mm. And then oh, Tyson we'll did the Roy Jones fight. You know, uh Santana spoke relatively briefly here but i think in that short amount of time like man anytime he he takes the microphone and addresses the crowd he his presence i think is really strong his confidence is really strong so honestly like he already feels like a big star but the moment they give him the ball to either be a leading single star or to put proud and powerful up towards the top of of, of the card man the guy is already there and i think AEW actually has a, a number of like potential top stars um santana never gets mentioned in that that grouping and he should be like he He should be a project for 2022 like you don't have to break up the team but i like this idea of the inner circle never fully breaks up but they go in different paths and that can include santana and ortiz because santana has a big singles run in him as a a baby face or as a heel down the road they're like the wu-tang clan you know, you sign one joint deal to to one label, but then each person gets to sign their individual deals and release their solo album. So that's that's exactly it. Yeah, you know, really high energy uh, segment here with a deafening crowd, just like last time. The heat's I, amazing. Yeah, Lambert is just he comes across. I've been critical of him in the past, but like when he speaks with this type of crowd reaction and with his team behind him, like he he really does come across as a great heel manager. I don't. I didn't love Jericho's promo here. You know, like there, it, there's no doubt it was effective, but it very much feels like the type of promo that we would have gotten from a Jericho from a prior era. Oh, like, it was you know, him and Stephanie. I think that's exactly what he was channeling and cannot go as far as he did with Stephanie. That would be, um, I think this is about as far as you can go where you're not going to get that pushback from people. Yeah. Again, it was effective, but I feel like, you know, a Jericho who I think has been known to reinvent himself, I, I, I think, 
you know, a bit more creative to create, you know, it was creative, I suppose the bitch filter, but, um, it wasn't my favorite Jericho thing, but it was effective. The Lucha brothers versus the masked friends of Andrade for the triple A tag team championship. So didn't, <laughs> what were they called? The super frogs? Yeah, they were La Superanas. Okay. Uh, out in green and black spandex. So, so last week at the Heroes Immortalis show, the Lucha Brothers, uh, I actually just watched this match over the weekend with the Lucha Brothers with uh, El Hijo del Vikingo and Laredo Kid, and this thing is insane. It's a 16-minute sprint is not doing it justice. Dude, Vikingo was just insane in this match with Phoenix. Everyone was tremendous. But then at the end of it, you have Jarlistico and Dragon Lee show up to challenge the Lucha Brothers. So all week, you have people thinking that they're going to show up in Miami for this match with the Lucha Brothers, but uh, that, that was not the case because they had this whole angle crafted. And so we have the mass tag team, and the match begins, and the announcers are just full-out calling. It's like, that's FTR. It's like... Mm -hmm. Punk, you Punk specifically. He, yeah. He's the only one, yeah. And you had the others who, I mean, had just seen FTR disguised last week during the whole limo attack so you kind of had to be able to if tony could so clearly call them out last week kind of had to here as well <laughs> well uh, green is a deceptive color i suppose tony was just going overboard here he said cm punk is the tony romo <laughs> of wrestling you can call plays before they happen and punk's like i don't know if i could do that <laughs> you can you are tony romo <laughs> I think Tony Loki is like the biggest shit talker in that company. He's like, "Wow, you're so smart. Aren't you a bit you're such a big boy. Good for you. Uh, you're so smart." If ever there's someone on this broadcast who's going to get reprimanded for like saying fuck on the air, it's going to be Tony Schiavone. Sure. Yeah. Wheeler gets sent over and lands on uh, Harwood. Um from there, um the Lucha Brothers come back with this dive and high cross combo. The crowd's really hot for this. Wheeler saves Dax from a package pile driver, and then Penta is tossed into the timekeeper's desk. And then there's a twisting wheel kick by Phoenix as he spins off the rope. Just amazing. Tully comes down to distract Aubrey Edwards, and Phoenix goes for a moonsault and is hit in midair upside down with a belt shot, with Dax following with the brain buster to pin Phoenix in 813, and FTR are your triple A tag team champions, and I guess going to Mexico. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I thought it was a good match. I felt like the reveal, honestly, maybe spoiled it a little bit. I thought the crowd reactions were a little bit lower for this one than much of the other rest of the show. And I think part of that is because they've set such high expectations for these sort of big reveal surprises on AEW that I do feel like the audience was building themselves up to see a surprising new debut and not a team. And this audience, I bet you there's a greater percentage of them that saw that, that triple A show last weekend that maybe thought that we were going to get uh dragon Lee and Dralistico, which I mean, imagine getting a 10 minute match of those four, um, you're just naturally like AEW has kind of set this bar now to expect surprises. That's why I thought the hangman page thing, it was great that it was received so well of him coming back last week. But on top of it, it's also conditioning you that sometimes it's not always going to be, we've signed someone new or it's someone coming from outside. But um, page was somebody who had not been seen for months, you know, FTR, we just saw the week prior. Right. So 
I I almost feel like if you had promoted this as strictly a Lucha Brothers versus FTR match with a few promos and an actual storyline with these titles at stake, I think it, the match itself would have received a better reaction. And you know maybe we can talk about the post match angle right now, but. Yeah, they, they, this was explained that Andrade paid MJF for the usage of FTR for one night to screw with the Lucha Brothers. So he now, was... is, that, is that not a story that that just kind of came out of nowhere? You know, and I know maybe that's part of the idea is, OK, like you didn't see it coming, but like the way they built this up with Andrade, like introducing friends, you couldn't help but think about somebody from Andrade's past or somebody with some ties to Andrade. Um, and maybe they're great friends from NXT, perhaps, but I don't, I don't necessarily think that's where what they were leading the audience to feel. And this MJF association seemed to just be a one night only thing, as they mentioned, with really nothing to lead into the future. So I'm just speculating here, but it makes me wonder if FTR was a backup plan, if in case an original plan for these masked wrestlers fell through. Well, I mean, it's got, it's not like it's just like a one-off match. Like it has implications. You're putting the belts on FTR. So I think you have, you have to have some plans mapped out for FTR. I think it might have just been a case where, I mean, I don't think it helped that you did that angle last weekend and led people in that direction to start thinking. Um, and, and maybe, maybe they overthought things here a bit too much by doing a masked team. Like to your point, maybe you could have just done FTR uh, Andrade gets involved in some way, and then you show that he had that he hired FTR or so, something like that. Uh, maybe maybe they just overthought things by doing this mask team where you're going to set people's expectations maybe out of whack if you don't have the payoff that they're looking for. Yeah, the expectation level for one of these reveals is is so high now that I I don't know if this one worked. Shivani was with Dante and Leo Rush, and Rush calls it growing pains. To succeed, you need to fail. And tonight, Dante failed by his own doing, but he knows that. And if, I, if he listens to me, everything will be money. I am going to be his tag partner from now on, and Dante seemed reluctant, but went along with this new plan with Leo Rush. Well, the matches look like they're, they're going to be great. Um, I, I, I think... For me, it's I'm most interested to see what sort of character development we're going to get for Dante Martin because you know Rush, he's very much, uh, I would say he's a heel right now. Like, is that obvious to you or is that debatable, John? No, I think Leo Rush is coming across as, um, somewhat like manipulating Dante Martin. I think that's mm-hmm. that's kind of been introduced, and I don't know how many babyface tactics include leverage buyouts like that that seems like a heel occupation well come on i mean i I don't know if matt hardy's stable is is a entire like his whole stable is leverage buying out is it not yeah and i don't think people like them right so you know martin's persona in AEW thus far has been very i would say relatively generic baby face very low-key very humble so i look forward to seeing if like this kind of gives him an added edge or if we're going to get um what is it, Ali and Mansoor from this? Yeah. Yeah. Did you see uh Mustafa Ali post uh looking forward to my match? said something like that and noting that they it was the only him. match they didn't promote at the end of SmackDown. He reminded mm-hmm. you this is on Crown Jewel on Thursday. Yeah. Yeah. Those yeah. guys are gonna have a great match. Like if they and they hopefully if they get their 10, 12 minutes, they're gonna have a hell of a match on Thursday. Oh, the crowd will be amazing for for uh Mansoor. Andrade paid off MJF and 
Then John Moxley took on Wheeler, Utah. John Moxley entered. He killed this man. Feel, do you feel the uh, like when when you when you see U, Utah, Utah, it's a hard T rather than the soft T like in like in Toronto. I say, I say, Utah, Utah, Utah. What, what's a Utah? soft T? What's a soft T? Well, like Utah, Utah. like like pronouncing like a it D? like a D. Almost. Oh, Utah. Yeah, I might I might say it too fast and revert to D. Oh, okay. Well, I'll follow follow up with this in the future. Our whole explanation was longer than this match. <laughs> it lasted forty six seconds, and Utah got killed with a paradigm shift, and they checked on him afterwards. This was just uh, John Moxley. Running through a guy, John Moxley running through a guy. But I think uh, far more interesting is the fact that that guy is a babyface here. And I feel looking at these brackets and again looking at Tony Khan's leaked script, everybody, this I feel was a match designed to slowly turn John Moxley heel. You build negative sentiment towards the guy on top of the card for being booked to go over a relative fan favorite underdog so quick and so clean. I mean, typically in these situations, like we saw in the the opener. You know, AEW likes to at least give the crowd what they want by delivering a solid matchup that is of a certain length. In this case, they specifically had John Moxley beat a babyface in quick fashion to deny the crowd of the match. And I found it a very unique way of turning somebody at least slightly heel, maybe not full on heel like, you know, AEW tends to do, but at least towards the direction where you're going to want to boo him. And of course, this also sets up a potential meeting in the brackets between Mox and Cassidy in the second round. I think so. Yeah. And that would continue this, this same thing where it's Moxley who's going to beat the beloved baby faces on, on route to this. So it's a great observation. It's a great time to turn Mox as a heel. I mean, his roster, this roster has listen, Mox versus Brian Mox versus punk Mox versus page. These are your big potential pay-per-view headlining matches so now is certainly the right time to to turn the guy do you want to go th- go through these ba- brackets right now John? yeah let's oh, let, let, why don't we go through because they saved this till the end of the night so on the one side it's going to be preston vance 10 from the dark order against john moxley that'll probably be a squash too you know we'll see i, I, I see him getting i see vance getting more than than utah but um you know Big win for Moxley. I think that's very clear. Uh, Orange Cassidy and Powerhouse Hobbs. Uh, I think we can uh, assume Moxley and Cassidy there. And then on the other side, Brian Danielson against Dustin Rhodes. The match that no one thought of when Danielson came here to AEW, but no one's complaining about seeing these two together. This is this is like the couple times a year when Dustin Rhodes is going to show us how great this dude is. Um, I'm really looking forward to this match. Me too. Because you're talking about two veterans who I think, you know, have a lot more to offer at this stage in their careers besides, you know, great physicality. Like their 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 brains are to me there's their superpowers at this moment. And the type of story that they're, they'll be able to craft is one that I'm really looking forward to. And they're going to have the space to have the type of match that they want. It's not just going to be a, a Daniel Bryan versus Goldust match on main event that's going to go like two, three minutes. This will hopefully be very different. And then the last match, the winner of Danielson and Rhodes will face the winner of Lance Archer and Eddie Kingston. So I think we could assume Brian will beat Dustin Rhodes. Who do you think Brian faces next in the second round? Kingston. Daniel Brian Danielson versus Eddie Kingston. Nice. Either of those. Danielson versus Archer will be awesome as well. 
and uh, presumably Moxley and Bryan in the finals. Maybe I, I actually would be surprised if they don't have some explanation, but especially because he was on commentary, I do think there needed to be some explanation. Like, why is Punk... Like, there's so many people that are not in this, and Dustin Rhodes is, for instance. Like, mm. these are not... Preston Vance is in this. You know what I mean? Like, we're talking about... Um, an MJF that's not in this. It's mm-hmm. like, there's a lot of top names. I do think something like this for your world title eliminator, it does require some explanation as to where all these people are. Um, yeah. Normally I don't think either of us would give a shit, but because AEW has so much, um, give so much reverence to their ranking system. Yeah. I don't disagree. Uh, but those are the brackets. So that will start on Rampage next week. So they, they've already taped Orange Cassidy and Hobbs. And then a week from tonight, uh, a week from Saturday, uh, which is the live show, it's Archer, Kingston, and Rhodes and Danielson. Mm-hmm. So moving back to the show, we then go to Shivani with Serena Deeb, who said she had to drag the division up to her level. And the division got comfortable during her sabbatical. And she was attacked by Hikaru Shida as they will continue. And Shida is still after that elusive 50th win. All right, cool. I, this was a hot match last. What is it? Two, was it last week or two weeks ago? It feels like this was uh, last week. This was in um, last Wednesday, Philadelphia. Yeah. Oh God. I don't know if I've watched like 10,000 hours of wrestling since then, but um, it, it was a hot match. Back then, and I'm sure it'll be hot again. Young Bucks and Adam Cole against Evil Uno, John Silver, and Alex Reynolds. The Super Click jumped them in the ring, and then Cole and Bucks do the assisted powerbomb on the apron, and it's countered by Arana from John Silver. Uh, I am not going to recap this entire thing. It's 10 minutes and 49 seconds of a uh, just insanity. It was, uh, like a, it was like a trios PWG match. Yeah, It was crazy. crazy. Cole did a Ushiguroshi on Reynolds on the floor after he took the double super kick. And then there's a spot where Nick Jackson loses his shoe and his sock. So Evil Uno delivers Socko to Nick. Dude, this place exploded. If you told me this was the biggest pop on the show, I'm not arguing with you. It might have been. Could have been, yeah. Well, number one, they're incredibly hard for the match um, itself. But the moment Socko came out, for some reason, like, they loved it, so maybe maybe he'll keep it. And maybe- Was this just an organic spot to do, or do you read anything into that? That's a really good question. You know, like, could he have simply caught the shoe and then found it? Like, his- Mick Foley feels very comfortably outside of the WWE family right now. I and certainly- the, idea of, the idea of Mick Foley showing up to AEW for some appearance um, would not at all surprise me. That can happen next Saturday if they really wanted to. Absolutely. So maybe it wasn't done for... Like, Mick Foley in the Dark Order will be interesting. Uh, Cole then super kicks Uno to to stop the Socko. The Bucks run the ropes, and they're setting up for the kiss spot with Adam Cole. But Silver and Reynolds pull the Bucks out, and they come in, and they intercept the kiss to Cole in the camel clutch. Awesome. awesome this was spot. a really fun match. There's a three-on-one on Cole where the Dark Order just does their their special meter times ten and hit everything in the kitchen sink. Uh, Cole and Reynolds are left in the ring. Reynolds is on offense. He gets caught with a double super kick, Panama Sunrise, BTE trigger, and Adam Cole hits the boom for the win in 10 minutes and 49 seconds. There are elements of this match that it is beyond comprehension of human beings working at this speed, this pace, uh, 
this was a video game for for 1049 it was insane completely completely um a fantastic match really a lot of fun and i think if you uh, like you, you could have opened the show with this you're right like this this would have like i like the opener where it was it's not it didn't hinder the show at all but yeah you could have started like this well, is it, the kind of felt, match that it's gonna be tough to follow though it felt more like your traditional aew opener right at this point uh, but either way, like whatever, like you, you, this is a welcome addition to any anywhere on the card, especially when you have in the main event, you know, a rather technical matchup. I think um, the addition of this show, this this type of match on the show was just I love the contrast. I actually like that this was kind of later in the show to have the direct contrast. But mm-hmm. it was um, like you, you just had such a mixture of everything um, between mm-hmm. some of the matches on this. Jungle Boy shows up attacking Adam Cole, keeping those two very closely aligned. He gets a chair and the super kick, the super click bail as Brandon Cutler is left to die. And he is hit with the chair. He is put in the snare trap. And then they use the, uh, he uses the cold spray. Um, so Cutler just, dude, Brandon Cutler does not get enough credit. He is great in his role. He's great comic relief. Yeah. For this type of feud. So yeah, continues that Jurassic Express elite story. Now we're going on location to the, uh, the nightmare factory and Cody and Arn are at the gym and the nightmare family are there and they tell Cody you've gone Hollywood and red velvet calls him an arrogant piece of shit. And thus we go for a high intensity training session where Brock Anderson, Lee Johnson, Kylan King, red velvet. They all beat the hell out of Cody. They bust him open and he can't, out, he's outnumbered by all of them that are just attacking him. And Cody asks, what are we doing here? And Arn says that you brought up a promise to never let the kids down at home. Well, let me tell you, when Dusty was getting violent with me, do you think those kids were booing? No, they loved it because I had it coming. And Malachi Black has it coming. I don't know if they'll be booing when if Cody starts beating on Malachi Black in similar fashion. Uh, I think they'd be booing the other direction. So, you know, this was I, I thought this this was really well done. Like these are well shot. I think they're pretty well acted by Cody and Arn, and um, I think the segments are enjoyable. But I'm really curious what the intent is because I think coming off of the last Malachi Black match, everybody's thinking, okay, this is a way of. They they must be running with like a some some a bit of a Cody heel turn even if it's not going to be explicit, but these videos don't really suggest that direction at all. In fact, they, this seems like a relatively well told babyface comeback story. How did you read it? I think this is their way of presenting Cody that if this was just a a one dimensional character and we were watching it in the typical wrestling context, would be a heel, and they're trying to give a lot more depth to justify. All uh, like him taking on this, this darker edge. I think it's really tough with a guy like Malachi Black that, I mean, they are not, it's a very interesting talent to watch AEW. They are not shielding this guy from cheers and even giving him like the, the nod spot to Dante. Like you respect this guy. He's a kick-ass wrestler. It's, Oh, he's a and, baby face. Like, in a traditional way, if Cody went to this dark place and he pulls out the win over Malachi Black, 
Like maybe they pull it off in such a way that it works, but I don't imagine any scenario where Cody beats Malachi Black and that audience is not with Malachi Black. Yeah, no, certainly. Yeah, the the nod to Dante Martin I think completely gives it away. Like he he is a to me a pretty full on babyface. I have to say. So I'm I'm or maybe Cody's see. just delusional at the end. He's like he will just maintain I'm not a heel. I'm not I turning, love, but everyone I, hates him. Well, I love that character. I think the, he's been walking that that line very nicely. The, the the thing that might not necessarily be congruent is the tone and, and what I come out of these segments with. You know, it, this feels like it's a Rocky story, doesn't it? You know, you've been like living the luxurious lifestyle. We got to take it back to Mickey's to train that sort of thing. So maybe uh, we're going to get a dramatic end to like a dynamite where the closing minutes of the show, it's going to be another like like kind of cinematic shot where Cody's in his car, gets to the red light and then a guy opens up the door and then we fade to black and we're left to know what did Cody do? Wow. Okay. Very ambiguous ending. We go soprano style season finale series finale. Oh, you know, I was never a Sopranos fan. Oh, I thought you were going for like, he's going to get into his car and we're going to get a montage for, for like 10 minutes. Oh, our full Rocky four montage. Yeah. Yes. Well, that could be playing on the, on, on the speakers when he gets pulled over um, and the carjacker messes with the wrong guy. Uh, wow. Okay. And Cody just yikes. If <laughs> you smell that... what the Glock is cooking. Oh wow! Oh my God! Did you just come with that? Just came to me. We got to send that to to Conrad Thompson. Put that on a shirt. So wow, I'm into the story because I like to see where this is going. Like it's mm-hmm. I, this is where I have faith that this is not going to get dropped. That Cody's not going to stop this character. That we're going to get some payoff to this. That they know where the destination is. And based yeah. on that sheet, it means the destination is either Malachi Black or it's Miro or it's somebody else. <laughs> yeah. So it seems could... like a showdown with Malachi Black is a foregone conclusion. That is yeah. where this, this has to go. Well, I mean, they, they announced the match for next. Oh, that's right. That's right. They're, they're going there for Dynamite. So you're right. The, the pay-per-view might be a different direction. I totally forgot. We've announced this for next Saturday. Was Malachi Black on, on the leaked rundown? He was listed. It was three different right. opponents for Cody, and he was one of them. So unless they do Black versus Cody for a fourth time at full gear, which I I don't necessarily – I don't know if I see it. That's a lot. Just, That's a lot to just do another – that would require, like, what, another Cody loss here or some disputed yeah. finish. Yeah. Uh, so then we might instead, you know, get one of the other two, Miro or or who? I can't remember who the third one was off the top of my head. Whatever. One of those guys. Well, we'll see. Uh, Then we had uh, Shivani with... Oh, no, sorry. I'm getting ahead of myself. MJF comes out. He says that this place reeks of hookers and gasoline. He does his own ring introduction. This was when they had announced it would be MJF and Darby, but then after the attack, said Darby would not be cleared. But MJF is coming out mocking Darby for not being here. And said that Darby has not shown up because he's a gutless coward. I broke him mentally. And then he yells at a fan and says, I can't hear you over your three chins. He says, Darby will always be number two and mid, just like Miami. And he's going to deliver them the match with Darby as Wardlow then drags out Bryce Remsburg to demand the count of 10. Shivani calls this, this heel demanding a count out victory. One of the, quote, most deplorable things I've ever been part of. Of all the things Tony Schiavone has been part of in his career, this is what takes the cake. 
Man, this band like like was there for the whole Russo era. He lived yeah. through a lot, and this this the most deplorable. Before the count of ten, the lights go out. Sting appears, and MJF just throws Wardlow at Sting and runs off and continues this uh, this association, which I think they have a really easy way to connect. Punk with Darby and Sting with mm-hmm. MJF and Wardlow, where we get Punk and Wardlow at the pay-per-view. And I think everyone expecting that the ultimate showdown of Punk and MJF at a time to be determined. Like, this team's all mapped out. Yeah, if we're talking about factions, I mean, Punk has sort of been previously aligned with Darby and Sting. So I, I would assume he somehow gets involved through this and we get those matches. But question is, do we get Sting versus MJF at any point? I think you should do, if you don't do the match, I think you need to do a big angle with MJF that necessitates, when, when you have Punk ready to do that match, that there's some vicious beatdown of Sting or something like that. Um, hmm. You could do a match, but I, I think you could also get away with just a big angle. Um, you want to preserve these Sting matches. I don't know if I would want to go to the match route so often with Sting. Yeah. Or a trios. Three yeah. of them. Pick, pick a pinnacle member. Yeah. Spears. Somebody. Sure. Shivani is with Anna Jay, who gets interrupted by Britt Baker, bragging about the super click beating your loser friends, and that Anna Jay is a follower and nothing without the Dark Order and Ty Conti. So they fought and had a pull apart. Um, pretty similar to what we had earlier with Serena Deeb and Hikaru Shida. There were there were a lot of angles on this show. Well, yeah, I guess they need justification for for whatever matches that they're going to make, but it looks like we have a. I don't know if this will be for a championship. Like I don't know. I don't know if Anna, I don't think Anna Jade technically qualifies for a belt yet. But maybe it's Anna Jade versus you know um, what's it, uh, what's who is it? Forget her name. Jade. No. Um, Britt Baker's. Um, oh, Jamie Hader. Jamie Hader. Thank you. Or or Britt. Kiara Hogan and Penelope Ford. Uh, they went through a break. There was a handspring cutter by Ford. She used the Muda lock with a bridge, and that got her the submission in seven minutes and 41 seconds. Uh, this was one where the crowd did seem like they were not as into this one. This was a bit of a come down. No, I mean, these are kind of tough spots again, you know, like this late into the show. Also, you're talking about two characters. This was a bench with zero storyline. You know, we saw Penelope Ford run in on, what is it, uh, Rampage. And, but no promo, like no real kind of personality being built for either of these two. So it was a cold match with two like lower ranking stars on the show without really much at stake. So I, I didn't think the match was that great either. So I think it was a combination of several things. Yeah, um, they're setting up Penelope Ford with Ruby Soho. They did the angle on Rampage and 24 hours later, Ruby Soho jumps her from behind and the bunny comes out to help. And Ruby is calling on both to challenge uh so moving in that direction with with ruby miro had his response after losing his title he loves his wife but i cannot go home like this and he is speaking to god have i displeased you and he is in conflict with his god and asks is this a joke that you have given me a body of granite and a neck of sand why have you forsaken your champion And as long as God is silent with him, he will snap necks and he will not see his wife until then. So God is giving this man the silent treatment. 
uh, yes, that is right. And he, which will result in him giving his wife the silent treatment. He's not going home until this is rectified. What's he going to do? Is rent a motel? Or, or is, this, is Lana going to have to move somewhere else? Uh, that's, um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe he's going to sleep in the tank. I don't know. Hmm. But this is a, this is a very, um, this is a theological dilemma for Miro. Hey, I love this. I thought I thought this was great. Like it looked awesome. It was like Miro talking in the shadows. The way he he has been cutting these promos with this religious overtone, um, a body of granite and a neck of sand. That is fucking poetry, John. It's poetry for saying I'm a monster being booked like one, but I have an Achilles heel in my neck. And I love that he is retaining. I hope he retains it throughout the rest of his AEW career because it makes his matches a whole lot more compelling. It gives any babyface on this roster a winning chance to potentially do well against Miro if they can specifically focus on this one spot in his, on his body. And I think if he ever turns into a babyface, and I think that could be coming very soon at this rate, it gives him a very sympathetic body part for for you know uh, heels to attack. So I love this. I love this Miro. Miro has been an amazing turnaround in this company post Kip. Post Kip, oh my god, I've almost yeah. forgotten. Yeah, remember when the Gun Club turned? I do. Yes, the, the other Kip. Yeah, the other Kip. Yeah, to bring bring anarchy to dark. Yeah. yeah. Well, they're they're developing. Tony Schiavone brings out Hangman Page. He explains how Page and Omega met last year in the finals of the world title eliminator. Hangman, now it's your time, your chance to become champion. And Page takes over. He says he left Ring of Honor and New Japan in 2019. I was excited. I believed in our vision to change the world. But in fact, the world changed us. It changed me. I said on day one, I would be the first AEW champion. And I failed. I lost to Chris Jericho, then I lost to Pac, and I kept losing more. And then, lost my confidence, my friends, I even lost myself. But what never was lost were you people chanting cowboy shit. And that was taking his shot on day one. That's what cowboy shit was. Cowboy shit was winning the tag titles, and then... Learning to leave the past in the past and welcome in new friends. Taking his chance of putting it all on the line for his friends that stuck their neck out for him. And cowboy shit is going home in the midst of the hottest run of my career to be home for the birth of my son. That's cowboy shit. And it's falling off and then getting back on the horse and keep riding. And I am not going to predict how full gear will end but you will all still believe in me. And for the first time in my life, I believe in myself too. And I will give everything a full gear, my heart, my soul, every fiber, my blood, sweat, and tears. But I'm 100% sure I will give you cowboy shit. This was one of the best babyface promos that I've heard in I don't know how long. This was as good a promo as you are going to find. I thought this was the best thing on Dynamite. And this is a great show, but this to me was a star-making, babyface moment of Hangman Page. This was incredible. Totally agreed. Totally agreed. I think 
we have seen, you know, Hangman be capable of a lot of things in this company. Um, certainly as an in-ring performer, he's been fantastic. I, I think what little we've had to hear of him on the microphone, he's been great. But for the most part, his character during his AEW run has been the quiet cowboy who doesn't say a whole lot. He strictly comes in here with his drink, sips it, and then kind of leaves. Then he was kind of doing the, you know, loner, depressed type of thing when he was with the Dark Order. This, to me, felt really like the first time since Hangman's Rise that we got to hear him cut a pure babyface promo, which is so much, so incredibly rare, I think, in pro wrestling these days. A guy who strictly comes out here, tells you that he's going to overcome the odds and win this match, beating the villain for us. That rarely happens anymore because everybody is at least, you know, an anti-hero or a cool, cool badass type of guy. This was just a man telling us, hey, I left my job to witness the birth of my child and now I'm back. Um, I thought it cemented him really as the company's top baby face, you know, positioning him to me above a Brian and a punk, not in terms of star power, but in the audience's desire to want to see this man specifically dethrone Kenny Omega for the championship. I, I just, I thought it was fantastic. You know, this is his act three. You know, like him telling us that he, for the first time in his life, believes himself is him having overcome his self-confidence issues that he has uh, very much talked about or that have been uh, part of his story throughout his entire AEW run. And it's, it's a beautiful beginning, middle and proceeding to the end story of him failing uh, in his first big match in AEW, losing confidence and now having that confidence to overcome those fears. So it, I can't wait for this. I can't wait for this. No, this this is the kind of promo that I mean, it's designed to leave you with something that you that you feel that you want to root for this guy, and most importantly, that you want to pay money to watch to see this guy succeed. And just outlining like here is a baby face that outlines like his his weaknesses that he has overcome that the audience is rooting for like it it sounds crazy but it's like you are drawing upon the same thing that has such a fan base and such a following for a nick gage like this is their nick gage hangman page totally yeah i mean in in maybe a different type of um vocabulary and and delivery but not really you're right. Yeah, cowboy shit. You're right. You know, it helps that they can say shit freely now and that we can actually hear Paige himself say the words cowboy shit. This was the he, first time ever that they like he must have said it like 10 times here, but uh-huh. each time like it was impactful. And this was like a mission statement and I never felt like the swearing was oh, oh, like too much. And and I hate when they do too much of it. Yeah, totally. So this was an amazing promo. Amazing. A main event, a main event level promo for a guy who uh, I think is already ready for that main event. You know, I, he's not necessarily going to be mentioned as one of like the these four pillars of AEW because I think he's sort of in that half generation where he was already a bit of a star prior to entering. But I I consider him every bit a product of AEW the way you would a Guevara, MJF, or Darby, or, or you know whoever the other person is. But like to me, this is like a guy who truly saw his ascent to the top through his entire AEW run. So, and it's yeah. been such a long-term story that has like if you followed along with this, I mean, this has been like a really a really intriguing character to follow from literally that that second pay-per-view with the the first all out. Mhm. 
Rampage on Friday. So these matches have been taped. Britt Baker against Anna Jay. Orange Cassidy against Hobbs in the tournament. And Pac versus Andrade. And sounds like it's quite the match with Pac and Andrade. Dynamite next Saturday, which is the live show, has Malachi Black, Cody Rhodes 3, Archer against Kingston, and Dustin Rhodes against Brian Danielson. Uh, obviously, many more announcements for Dynamite next Saturday with three matches so far. Danielson and Bobby Fish is the main event, a, re- a rematch from Evolve 4. Oh, yes, right. So early on, we go to picture in picture as Fish is attacking him in the corner. And Brian sends him to the floor and hits a tope suicida before running Fish into the post. Fish catches him with a sweep on the edge of the apron, and Brian starts holding his knee. And Fish, did you notice this? He got into this fan's face, and he shoves this dude. I didn't pay attention specifically. He was not happy with this fan in the front row. Danielson's knee gets wrapped around the post several times, and then it's Fish going to town here with... (laughs) I just... (laughs) Fish with the half crab. (laughs) I didn't even know it. Danielson breaks out of it to apply an ankle lock, then to a German and hits a pair of dragon screw leg whips, and now he wraps the knee around the post. Fish catches a kick and hits a backdrop driver. Punk notes how Fish is covering using the injured leg as a small detail of of Fish's uh, technical prowess here. He hits his big falcon arrow off the top, and then instead of going, or right after the pinfall, goes right to a knee bar, Brian kicks his way out there in 50-50 guard, and they're just trading kicks, and Danielson is just waffling him with shots, and then... Out of nowhere, Danielson wrenches on for a heel hook, and once he gets it secure, it's an immediate tap by Bobby Fish. I love this ending. 12 minutes, 28 seconds, very much like that Shingo Takagi, Zack Sabre Jr. match, where you had the submission, and as soon as it was technique, it's not the pro wrestling style where it's just, you know, an exaggerated submission. It was once it's locked on, that's it. It's an immediate tap. The baby face isn't wavering. Instant like finish is over and now Danielson has this heel hook in his arsenal which is a submission everyone is going to buy when he goes for it oh there's no bullshit of the guy like you know might he might reach the ropes he might not there's no oh. rolling around no theatrics i love I, when they do this as more and more people are familiar with what real grappling looks like what mma grappling looks like they recognize that that stuff doesn't happen in real life. And once a submission in most cases is fully locked on, it's immediately over. And what better way to exemplify that than, you know, but these two guys with a very, you know, well, well learned um, shoot grappling backgrounds. I love the finish and, and, you know, beyond sort of the, um, the, the application of the move. I mean, I thought it was the entry into the move that what, that that Mm -hmm. was what made it so special. You know, Brian, all he really did was like add a bit of, extra exaggeration in the torque as he is locking on this heel hook and it created an audible reaction from Excalibur, which was very important to help emphasize the pain of the move. And it adds just that much more punch to it to allow you to believe that it's a more devastating move to his, than his usual submissions. And I know he finished like a match recently too, with like a finisher that we had hadn't seen recently. It wasn't the cattle mutilation. I mean, it was, it was something, but like more importantly, like even beyond this heel hook itself, if Brian, much like Zach, you know, like to me, Zach Sabre Jr. doesn't just have one submission. I don't even know if he has a submission. He has like any move Zach Sabre Jr. does is a potential submission. 
And I think that's what Daniel Bryan can achieve as well. The moment he starts submitting guys with like various moves, some one time it might be an armbar, other times it might be an omoplata, another time it might be like a triangle, whatever. The more he does that, the more you respect every single time this guy puts in a new submission. And I'm I'm very excited for it. I really enjoyed the match. Um, as you would expect, I think this was Fish's best match of the three. Unlike his other matches, of course, you had uh, the star power of Daniel Bryan really kind of like, you know, gliding this one along and keeping everybody engaged throughout. There were, were no moments that dragged. And I think in terms of chemistry, like this was a great showcase for these two very good technical wrestlers. Yeah, um, it, I, I love the ending to it. It was a really strong match and, you know, a totally different match than the Malachi Black Dante Martin, than the six man. Um, I, I thought this was a really great episode uh, of Dynamite. I thought and the promo with Hangman was just next level. Uh, the inner circle segment with ATT. This is a great show. It was a very good show. Yeah, if it had taken place on a Wednesday, I feel like I I would be maybe a bit more psyched about it. Like for me, the energy wasn't necessarily there because I had seen I had such a high of Brian versus Suzuki the night prior that this almost felt like it was the B show. But coming out of it, it was absolutely a, a very good quality AEW show with a great promo from Paige in there. And a shout out to John Cena who did the report on the site and then messaged me after that. That is a hard show to take notes for. I said, "Welcome to our world, John." It's uh, there's no there's no resting during an AEW show. Dynamite is a, is honestly a different pace than certainly than like a WWE Raw. Like I I will take taking notes. I would prefer watching a Dynamite, of course, but like taking notes for a Raw is far easier because there's so much like dead time in entrances and video recaps and everything. In AEW, it's just like boom, boom, boom. Thank you, Ram- and Rampage, we, we can't even rewind it up here. That's the other thing as well, yeah. So there you go. Uh, a strong episode of Dynamite, and now uh, no Wednesday Dynamite this week, but we head to forum.postwrestling.com, and you have had uh, 24 hours to leave your feedback. Wade, do you want to give us the poll result on what people thought of Saturday Night Dynamite? Out of 10, the forum voted this show a 7.65. All right, we start off with Matthew. I'm sure everybody will cover the full content of this episode, but I just want to say that Dynamite is, and this is no shocker, a great wrestling television program to watch. Everything matters. AEW has pulled me back as a weekly viewer, which isn't even ideal as an Australian with time zones and whatnot, balancing former WWE megastars with the wrestling industry's best talent that haven't had true mainstream exposure, as well as building up the next generation of stars. All in two hours, it's truly the best program in every respect. No one from Vaughn says, awesome episode from tonight. I thought the Inner Circle top team segment was fantastic, and this feud has continued to just heat up more and more. Hangman's promo was exceptional and summed up his three-year journey perfectly. All the matches were lots of fun, especially the six-man tag. But the highlight of the night for me was the the entire MJF promo. Tony Schiavone yelling over top of him was just the greatest. Nothing gets past Tony. He knew it was MJF that attacked Darby. (laughs) The Tony Romo of commentary. Yeah. Robbie from London, Ontario. What a promo from Adam Page. I, for one, am completely ready for him to take his spot at the top of this company. As for the rest of the show, Black and Dante put on a fun match. Regardless of hoping to see a Luchador team show up, FTR versus the Lucha Bros was still great. Another great trios match, and I love the main event. A 9 out of 10 show he gives us. Brian from New Jersey. Another really fun episode with lots of exciting matches. The more weeks go by, the more those notes on Tony Khan's notepad become a reality, but I'm all for it. 
I'm not getting tired anytime soon of getting so much of this Brian Danielson between his classic with Suzuki and his Evolve 4 rematch with Fish tonight. I thought Hangman's big promo was shaky, but he got his message across. I also enjoyed Punk on commentary, including that nod to his past with Serena Deep, uh, where Punk made a reference to Deep having really nice hair. Sadly, the women... <laughs> Did you catch that? I didn't. I didn't catch that. That is funny. Sadly, the women largely remain an afterthought, so hopefully the TBS title and tournament will rectify that. All right, we go to Jomo. Did we just watch Hangman become one of the best promos in the biz? He got people in the South to cheer him taking paternity leave. But really, him not sounding like Mr. Confident but working his way up to it really resonates. When half your commentary is too old to get an Anthrax reference, not too young, maybe you should think about getting some... More people under 40 <laughs> on the call. I don't know if that was because they were too old or, or just because they they don't know much about Anthrax. How uh, old's Excalibur? He's got to be younger than Punk. Uh, yeah, probably. Yeah, I don't think it's a it's an age thing. More of like, you know, like, are you into thrash metal or not type of thing. Uh, either way, Punk remains a treat on commentary. And the more he does it, the more excited I am about whoever's in the ring. It's arguable. The Bucks are the best team team wrestlers in the world and have been for almost a decade. Has any Bucks match where they're not paired with the excess weight of Bullet Club not gotten wildly over in the past seven years? Lastly, just want to shout out the G1 coverage and thank you, Way, for noting how boring these Okada main events are. If anyone is bored by the lifelessness of WWE and New Japan the Tokyo Joshi Pro and Knockout shows from last week are great top-to-bottom watches that have more emotional resonance than anything I've seen of those aforementioned companies in a while. Thank you for those recommendations. Awesome. We go to Crooked Letter 9, who says, Hangman's, omis- Hangman's mission statement it was exactly what it needed to be. The promo was heartfelt and cathartic. It'll be poetic when he wins the world title at the pay-per-view. Super Click versus... Oh, at the pay-per-view named after a rib on him. Full gear, of course. Uh, Super Click versus Dark Order was an effective mix of comedy with some high-quality work between the both. MJF abandoning Wardlow to Sting has to lead to a split. Oh, yeah, that's right. That happened. Danielson versus Fish was a technical chess match. Good selling from both men, and the constant targeting of the knees was effective. Can can we talk about how um how much Bobby Fish has already gained from, like, two weeks? in AEW, like I've seen more Bobby Fish singles matches in two weeks than I think his entire NXT TV run. So man, like he's a great fit, honestly, really like, and I want to see these two teams together. I need to see dragon fish. Yeah. I mean, it, there was a period like fish was a guy like him and O'Reilly, like they had some phenomenal matches on NXT. Um, it just, I mean, you look at how quickly they have brought in Bobby Fish and already what they've been able to get out of him in a singles capacity. Like, this is someone that I think, especially for like the last decade, has been primarily a tag wrestler. That's what he has been most uh, associated with. But, I mean, he's a tremendous talent, and I can't say I would have been very optimistic of what his role would have been in in this version of 2.0. And they saw the same, I guess. Mm Mm-hmm. Jason from Virginia, excellent show that built things up nicely for Full Gear and beyond. The opener was great and shows there may be four newer pillars of aid. All these pillars are being constructed way. Dante Martin, Lee Johnson, Lee Moriarty, and Daniel Garcia are all being slowly groomed for future big spots. And that rules. I'm slightly worried that Jungle Boy might stagnate because of his inability to promo. I could see him getting passed by if he doesn't improve that aspect. The women's match on this show was no good. I'm not sure why Penelope Ford and the... 
funny you get so much TV time with a roster this deep. Nine out of ten. Well, I remember a time when like Hangman Page was this guy on BTE that barely spoke and didn't really have much of a promo himself. And look at him today. So, you know, like a Jungle Boy is incredibly young. I feel like he will find that eventually. Uh, if not already, if just being given the ball. I mean, this is the son of Luke Perry. I feel like it would be in his genes. We go up next to... That's it. Actually, right. we're done. Thank you for all of the feedback for this special Sunday night edition of Rewind to Dynamite. We're back with Monday Doubleheader Way. Are you going to be okay? I'll be fine. Yes, we got the G1 in the morning or early afternoon and then Raw on Monday night. Monday night, as per usual. So, yes, Post Wrestling Cafe members, uh, we will be doing G1 shows on Monday and Wednesday and then a live or uh, a non-live show. We, we will have a show Thursday night, free for everyone, going through the G1 Finals and Crown Jewel. So you can look out for that. Uh, a lot of great stuff coming up this week and lots of interesting things to come in the world of post-wrestling. As always. We had a good call yesterday, didn't we? We had a great call. Always nice to chat and not have it be recorded for um, thousands of people to listen to. I think to. it was one of our best calls. It was a good call. <laughs> a good one, yeah. All right, that's it for us, everybody. Postwrestling.com. That's where where it's at. And if you want to uh, follow us on Instagram with a Borders photo, Borders. Yeah, the bitch, put the uh, bitch filter, uh, whatever you want on. Yeah. Slap a border around it at Post Wrestling. At Post Wrestling on Instagram, on Twitter, YouTube.com slash Post Wrestling. Goodbye.